Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. On this episode, we're going to get into Florida's win over Ole Miss. We'll obviously discuss the devastating uh, news and injury. Uh, news that Colin Castleton is likely out for the remainder of the regular season with a broken hand and the injury that he suffered last night against Ole Miss in the win. Obviously a very costly victory for the Gators. We will talk about Florida's upcoming tilt at Arkansas, another uh, quad one opportunity for Florida as their fleeting NCAA tournament hopes, um, you know, continue to, to exist even without Castleton. Uh, Gators head to Fayetteville with, with another chance to get a nice resume win. First, we wanted to um, talk to uh, Alex Klatsky about the Gatorverse, our new partnership and, and new podcast partner. Uh, for those that don't know, the Gatorverse is a next generation fan community. It's uh, certainly an innovative approach to NIL. It's going to connect fan athletes and merchants with digital and physical collectibles to verify community membership, grant access to fans, to exclusive privileges, VIP events, rewards, and experiences. We're really excited to, to bring Alex Klatsky on the podcast and talk to Alex a little bit about uh, the Gatorverse. We're also going to bring on uh, Rafi Goldman, who works with the Gatorverse, and um, you know get his perspective on everything that they are doing right now that um, we just think is really, really unique, gives people and fans uh, the opportunity to um, connect to athletes and gives athletes the opportunity to pocket um, a lot of the revenues for themselves, which really was the whole purpose of the NIL space to begin with. So uh, welcome, Alex, and just give us a little insight into how, you know, Gatorverse got started. So uh, the Gatorverse started last year. It's a it's a project and a, a term that I, I I coined the name of, and the goal was to build a digital community uh, in, in the fast growing NIL space uh, focused on Florida, uh, and I and I wanted to be able to create a way to connect fans with some of my fellow student athletes, and it's kind of grown a little bit since then, and now Open Locker is is grown it uh, even more, and what we're looking to do is uh, connect teams and you know whole teams and build this community, engaging fans with student athletes at Florida, um, but while also tying in local business and rewarding fans for their, you know, loyalty to the Gators and, and getting them a, a chance to engage with student athletes. That's awesome, Alex. Um, and, and I think now there are several Gator basketball players that, that are involved in, in the project. Uh, almost the whole team is involved. Uh, I don't have the full list up in front of me, but uh, it's not just basketball. Um, it's gymnastics. It's looking to expand into football, any any sport at Florida. Um, and it's, it's really about the whole community, not one individual. It's about it's about the whole team and the power that uh, the teams of Florida have. Can you talk a little bit more about um, like the fact like if I just wanted to support um, you know, Alex Klatsky, that, that, that's sure. cool, but there's a little bit more of, uh, of a chance to, you know, you, you, to support the entire team and, and a little bit of that kind of collectible element. Can you right. talk a little bit more about how, uh, how it's not going to be as focused on maybe, you know, one particular athlete that, that someone who's, who's really into this would want to, you know, get into kind of collecting pieces for the whole team? Yeah, absolutely. So each athlete has, uh, their own collectibles and you can support each athlete individually. However, your rewards grow, um, and, and, you, and 
the more athletes, let's say that you buy collectibles from, you're going to get a digital collectible, you're going to get physical collectible and um, opportunities to engage with that athlete. But that the more athletes that you actually collect, the more rewards that you can get um, for supporting that team. Rafi, this is uh, certainly Neil Blackman. This is certainly a, a kind of an innovative approach to, to the NIL space and the way that we typically, I say typically as if any of us know what we're doing in NIL yet, but um, certainly right now, a lot of it has been, Hey, subscribe, give us a pledge and, you know, some entity that we may not have control over Um you know, divvies out money to, to athletes. This is a, a little bit different of a setup and, and, and sort of uh, a lot more fan interactive. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely fair. And you know, we've, we've grown out communities at several different schools and we're you know definitely humble enough to realize that the NIL space is constantly evolving. So what the Gatorverse or any school we work with, you know, what that community looks like today will be very different than what it looks like a year from now. And, and that's going to have to do with player feedback, fan feedback. But it's also something that you want to have two-way utility, right? The fans are putting money in. You want to make sure that they're getting something back. And we also want to make sure for us, because it's team-based projects, and when I say team-based, you know, Alex touched on uh, gymnastics and, and men's basketball. And obviously, when people think NIL, they think men's basketball, they think football. We want to attack all the Olympic sports. We want to attack baseball. Um, there's a lot of players in, in the football space. You know, we'd love to have them. We want to have athletic departments. Um, we want to make sure the athletes year over year, because they are team-based projects. You know, we, we know how, and you guys know how 18 to 22-year-old kids are. If two basketball players or two gymnasts have a negative experience, you know, good luck signing the incoming freshman or transfers next season. So, it's about making sure the athletes has a positive experience and the fans do as well. You know, the, the digital access pass, you know, digital collectible, you know, last year, for example, when we launched at UConn, it was kind of a wave in the digital collectible space where people thought that those had value in and of themselves. For now, the digital, you know, people really want that signed platinum card, you know, the autographed rookie card. The digital thing is really just proof of ownership that we can verify to divvy out our rewards with local merchants. You know, for example, we're partnering with Stay Gainesville. So people that are going to have those digital collectibles will get discounted rates on their, their when they come to visit Florida, uh, whether they're coming back for their kids' graduation, a football game, whatever it may be. Um, so they can support individual athletes so they can pick and choose, hey, I want Alex Klasky's collectible, Colin Klasky, Trinity Thomas, or Colin Kaskin, uh, Trinity Thomas, whoever it may be. And the athlete will receive a majority of those revenues relative to, let's say, another collectibles project. Hey, we want to come in and sign the one or two star players, make a little bit of money, get out. Right. It's more than just a pure collectible trading card play. So one element that I think is is, is pretty cool is, again, just the, the level of, of creativity that that goes into a, a project like this and and uh, the way that art is a, is a part of it. Of course, the, the avatars people are seeing on Twitter, um, a pretty important part of, of, of what you do. Um, why was it so important to have something so creative on the artistic side of things? And, and uh, what are the, the kind of uh, challenges and, and approaches that go into something that's such like a visually focused kind of project? So that's, that, that's a great question. And first off, I want to I want to give a, a huge shout. We do have a, a full time creative team. Uh, Kima Washington runs that, and, and his group does an amazing job. So it wouldn't it wouldn't be possible 
to, to put all that together without, you know, a creative team that's as talented as they are. Um, obviously, in terms of the marketing of the project, having something that's aesthetically pleasing as that um, is really important. Um, and I think Alex can kind of speak to the evolution of those Gator avatars mm -hmm. uh, from where it was maybe a year or two ago to where it is now. Yeah, no, they've definitely come a long way. And I think my teammates just that love having, you know, getting to have creative input in the process, having their avatar look like them. Um, you know, there was a huge craze over the last few years of these avatars that you've seen on Twitter. Um, and I think this is just a really unique way to creatively tie in, you know, the Gators to that. Um, and also as an athlete, having having your say in it and not just having totally randomly generated, but, um, you know, just describing yourself and uh it's been really fun the guys have loved them so far and i can't wait to get them out to everybody yeah i think another thing you know with that is alex kind of touched on it there and the fact that he's on the podcast right now speaks to it is we want them to have a level of ownership you know the athletes from top to bottom whether it's alex trinity um anyone on either of those rosters right now that we have signed or any of the schools we want them to be you know whether it's going on a podcast promoted on social media Kid, kids don't tweet about things that they don't believe in hmm. right you know get, getting a, a 18 year old kid to tweet about anything that they don't care about good luck so having athlete driven media athlete driven content um we take their feedback day to day and evolve based on what they want it to look like definitely so another thing that i thought was was really awesome is and you guys have touched a lot on you know, how not only is it athlete driven, but also there's a level of fan access when they, you know, with the rewards program and, and the different things that, that fans can get out of it. Cause I mean, I, again, I think one really cool thing about NIL is, you know, the way that it's connecting fans to athletes in ways that we haven't traditionally seen. And I think in ways that are, that are healthy, but another thing that I think is cool for, you know, the basketball space is, is the idea of uh, a basketball tournament team that, that Gatorverse is uh, involved with. I mean, I know Eric and I are huge fans of uh, the TBT and we've often talked on this show about like, man, it'd be great if Florida put together mm -hmm. something and, and Gatorverse uh, being behind that with Torian. Yeah. No, I think we'll have, we'll have, we'll have a, an announcement coming in the very near future to, to dive into more of what you just hit on with, with TBT um can't give out too much based on you know the the relationship sure. we have with tbt I don't, I don't i don't want to jump the gun too much but yeah you know yes the, the gator verse um is going to extend beyond being just an nil specific project it's going to be kind of a, a multi-layered approach that will be tying in some gator legends that i think um you know a lot of a lot of gator fans probably probably miss and, and think about quite often um tying together multiple generations of, of gator for players and legends. Um, so we're really excited about that um, and would love to, you know, come back on in, in the future with Alex and, and some of those guys uh, to discuss it in detail in advance and as it's going on, but can't dive in too much no. <laughs> uh, at, at, the, at, at the current moment, unfortunately. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I know it's it's very competitive to, to get into that event, and you've got to have some legitimate players um, for them to even give you give you a look. So, you know, I've been a fan of it for so long. We actually, I, I mean, this goes back years on the podcast that me and Neil talked about. Um, like, hey, do you think that we could put together and and and, and coach a TBT team because we're seeing all these guys that were uh, that played for the Gators that that are playing for other teams and having a lot of success. So, we would love to have you come on and talk a little bit more about that um, when the time comes. Um, I did want to circle back just to, to one thing we were talking about a little bit earlier that I'm sure people will be very interested in. And that was the the concept. Um, Alex, you were talking about rewards that people would would get for um, owning, you know, different uh, collectible pieces from from both a player and a team. Um, for people that will want to get involved and, and kind of had their ears perk up at uh, oh rewards, um, what what could some of those rewards, you know, look like? Uh, I'll let Rafi kind of hit on some of those things. Like he's more tied in with some of the local business mm. in Gainesville um, and stuff. But uh, I'll, I'll, just a quick summary: I'd say just discounts and perks at local restaurants, businesses, mm. uh, free slice of pizza after you know after a great win, some things along those lines. Uh, events can will be hosted. Uh, I'll just let Rafi kind of take take the. the yeah, no, I, th I think you know Alex touched on it in, in a in a general perspective. The one thing definitively we can speak about right now is our partnership with stay gainesville so you get you know with the digital collectible will be discounted stays at, at their properties mm. um but conceptually speaking going forward as we tie in with more local merchants is you know in the past you think hey i can bring my ticket stub i go to the game if they hit 80 points i get a free taco right we've all been to games where they have things like that which incentivizes coming to the game right well this is you know it's a similar concept hey if i own a you know uh, any collectible, if I own a specific player collectible and the team wins or that player scores, you know, 15 plus points, hey, bring it the next day to this restaurant and you get a free appetizer or something like that. So we plan on having tie-ins to that regard. Um, but obviously there's there's certain players that will be in higher demand than others. Um, you know, we're aware of that, but we're going to incentivize ways to collect multiple players to collect a full team. Um you know, in the past, let's say with our UConn's basketball project, it would be, hey, if you collect any five players, you know, you get a free, you know, Boneyard Huskies or Gatorverse sweatshirt. Mm -hmm. You know, if you collect any seven players, you'll be entered into, you know, win Big East tournament tickets or SEC tournament tickets. So we'll have fun, fun giveaways that incentivize, you know, putting a little money in the pocket of, of all the players, not just one specific player. So one thing that I think is will be super attractive to people um that get involved uh, is is the chance to do these unique fan experiences where i mean we've always seen you know hey there's a signing today um you know where the university or the athletic association will say hey these four guys are going to sign at the baseball game or, or whatever it is um but this is a little bit different because the athletes are going to receive the lion's share of the revenue for these these uh, unique events and they'd be open to, you know, different players. So like, if you want to know how Alex Klatsky feels when, when the Rowdies start chanting his name with two minutes to go in a big win, like do you get that unique experience with him, but maybe you want to, you know, see what it's like to be a gymnast on a team with Leanne Wong and Trinity Thomas. Well, you know, you might have a unique fan experience with one of them. Can, can you talk about, you know, what, what was behind that idea a little bit? Yeah, um, I don't want to go too far and talk about uh, and the certain things that are going on behind the scenes, Brafi, but I know there's sure. definitely talk about hosting like camps um, yeah. and, and, that's, and that sort of thing. Um, 
Yeah, no, I think, you know, they're, they're generally speaking, we're going to have, you know, two price points on the collectible. One is going to be, hey, you know, the ones that are be um, probably one of a couple hundred edition, which will be priced under $50 uh, most likely. And that's meant to kind of democratize NIL where any, you know, season ticket holder fan can contribute as, as little or as much as they would like. Um, and that could serve as, you know, let's say Alex Clax, you know, Alex wants to run the Alex Classy basketball camp. He could be like, hey, well, either discounted rate or it's only open to holders of my collectible. You know, mm. players can gate access whatever they want because you can verify the ownership. Um, and then we'll have a higher price point, more of a, a one of one um, that'll likely be, you know, above a thousand dollars, maybe auction pricing um, that would come with an in-person experience. Hey, you want to have a, a 30 minute shoot around with with Colin or Alex or or Kyle or, hey, you want to, you know, grab lunch with Trinity you know, what that in-person experience looks like um, is going to be up to the athlete in terms of what they're willing to offer. Um, but we're going to have different tiers with that, and, and we're pretty excited. And I wanted to flip it back to you guys uh, on that TBT conversation. You know, who, who are some guys, and let's be realistic about, you know, their age and current ability to still hoop. <laughs> who, who are some guys, and, and also willingness, to, hey, like most likely guys who are NBA All-Stars like Brad Beal aren't going to be playing. We're looking at more over overseas type guys. Who do you want to see on that team? Hypothetical oh, team, of course. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, again, you're you're looking at these guys that are that are big time in in Europe. That um, and that's what's so incredible at the TBT is used to be guys in like second division Lithuania, but like now you're seeing guys from like the Spanish ACB that are playing. So like I'm looking at a favorite of of the podcast at Cavarius Hayes. Looking, of course, he's had a pretty meteor meteoric rise through through Europe, playing for one of the greatest teams, you know, right then. I'd love to see Cavarius Hayes. I know, you know, Will Yagets getting, you know, maybe a little bit more up there in age, but he's still he's still playing professionally. And uh, those are kind of the the age and, and kind of guys that you're seeing TBT. Like, hey, like Alex Tyus, like again, someone who uh, still has been playing at a high level in Europe. Like, you know, again, I, I feel like I'm somewhat realistic here with these with these guys that I'm that I'm looking for. And uh, and then someone, I'll say the last one. And I know I'm just, um, you know, saying everyone right now, so I'm leaving Neil with no one. But of course, Canyon Barry's still playing at a high level on on the three x three kind of circuit. So like, I, I feel like that's a guy that would be game for you know playing three x three, something that's a little bit different than the the prototypical professional basketball path. Um, there's a guy that I think would be perfectly suited, and he's some you know I think that you also see who wins in that tournament. It's guys that you know have a little bit of size, can handle it, can shoot it, do a little bit of everything when you're coming together for something like that. So Canyon Barry's gonna to be at the top of my list to, to try to get but those are those are the guys just off the top of my head right now man you you did you left me with with very no little one. to work with <laughs> no that's that's not true though you got to get mike rosario because that dude can just shoot mm. like i mean <laughs> he just i mean like you know i was wondering if he had some eligibility because he just hits like logo threes um and he was doing that in europe so I don't know. Like, I, I would like to see uh, see what Mike's up to, and then you know, Kenny's Kenny Boynton has played in these tournaments for a while, and yep. I don't know. He, he's getting a little older too, but um, you know, sh shooting is like the last thing to go, right? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And I think what you guys are touched on is, you know, not everyone is as tied in on who's playing well in the ACB and overseas as as you guys are. Is you know, for us, it's it's not just building a, a relationship between players and fans while they're on campus. It's it's extending beyond their time, you know, playing here as well. And, and not all of them are going to play in the NBA. Not all of them are maybe even going to play overseas for, for as long as some of the names you just mentioned. But 
we all have nostalgia for you know the glory days of each of those players when they were at, at Florida and down in Gainesville. So, you know, how how can we have tie-ins for these guys, you know, in in their you know five to ten to twenty years, um, you know, post graduation and and once they leave Florida. That's fantastic. And yeah, I think if you would have asked me, um, you know, two years ago when they were playing that TBT during the pandemic, um, I think I, I think I spent time to like actually make a realistic, like 13 man roster, or maybe it was like nine or 10. Cause that's normal what you see at those TBT rosters. But, uh, but no, I lo- love to be dialed in with, with what those guys are, are, are doing. So I'm really glad to hear that. I think that's very cool to um, talk about, like how can these guys be tied in, not just from when they're 18 to 22 on campus or something like that. Um, but until they're, you know, into their mid thirties, like the guys that we're talking about that we're hoping are going to get involved with this TBT team. So, uh, and I would say that also ties in with a question I was just about to ask and um, something I think that's, that's really cool about, I will just say like the, the mindset of what you're doing is, I feel with some things related to the NIL space, there's a little bit of a concept of like, hey, do you want to support your your, your team? You have pride in, in your logo, you know, give money and help support because you have pride in that logo. And there's nothing wrong with that. But something that I see with what you're doing is that you want to return value. You want someone to not just say, hey, give money because you love the Gators. You want to say, hey, give money because you're going to receive value back. So I think that that's something that's that's pretty cool about what you're doing, um, that you're really trying to provide a, a good service that um, is is going to give people returns on on, on multiple levels. And, um, and then I wanted to ask um, Alex, you said that uh, most of your teammates are signed up at the moment. Like mm-hmm. what was, the, what were those conversations? Not, I don't know if you were the one having those conversations, yeah. but what was the response from your teammates um, when they heard about this idea, which again is so much more creative and interactive than a lot of other kind of NIL opportunities. Yeah. I think there's like a certain element of trust too, when it's like, you know, your teammates are, are building something, you know, for you, for you. Like they, they I kind of understand what they're going through. I see their experiences with NIL every day. And, um, and, and I think I was able to, you know, take, take from what I've seen and just be, being a part of it all and being in the mix and just, and, and it's pretty easy conversations, just like, like, Hey, this is, this is what we're doing. And like, here's how it can benefit you. And then so far it's been, everyone's pretty, pretty much all on board. Um, yeah. And so, you know, obviously sometimes agents come into play, but like it's been, it's been pretty easy to work through that. And, and yeah, it's been a ton of support. So have you have you been the guy do that that did some yeah. of the recruiting with your team? Yeah, yeah. oh, I love I love that. Definitely, definitely. No, I think something you guys touched on is is as people get into this space and oftentimes with the right intentions, whether it's a collective or someone else's, you know, there, there's a demand amongst fans to to bring in money via subscription, and you know, the money might be going around, and you're trying to figure out the value after the fact. For us, it's important to lead with both player and fan value on mm. the front end, you know, to increase buying, but also make sure that you know, that buying doesn't go away after a month or two after, hey, you know, if they have a down season, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, hey, stop subscribing. Right. Because our, our thing is not necessarily a subscription based model, um, but what that model looks like is going to be, you know, the opportunity for fans to engage as little or as much as they want along the way and in real time like i'd say hey um you know trinity comes out and gets yet another 10 um at one of the gymnastics meets and you're like hey i just want a supporter you may already have a trinity card you may want two more because she you know she's one of the all-time greats so um you use opportunity to support uh, additionally in real time 
Um, and as we kind of grow, the plan is to increase the value over time as we grow with local merchants, as we grow with more rewards, experiences. Um, but having the full teams on board really make that easy uh, and make it more sustainable year to year. You know, recruiting one more freshman, one more transfer when the rest of the team is on board is a lot easier. Definitely. So who who right now, Alex, do you think has the who, – whose uh, avatar has the most drip? <laughs> I think Jatobos is pretty cool, though, don't you think? Yeah, that's what – I, I would have gone with, I would have gone with Jatobos, too. I just wanted <laughs> <laughs> Although I love I love the chain that that Fudge has, no doubt, and and that's like a real life chain. Like that's not just <laughs> that's not just uh, on a, the avatar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was wondering too with with how much Kwesi changes his hair, would the would would there have be an opportunity for an avatar that would switch up with the guy's styles, or or how often that's, would those avatars kind of change up with uh with guy's style? You know, that's a great question. We should see if we can get chemo on that, Rafi, and <laughs> updating Avatar. <laughs> I was going to say, you got you got to get the Series 1, wait for the Series 2. Mm, there you go. Um, <laughs> I love it. Co- constantly love it. evolving. Well, um, we definitely appreciate the, the time you guys gave us to talk about Gatorverse today. And uh, just, you know, really exciting way to, to engage the NIL space, I think. Definitely. No doubt. Thank, thanks for having thanks us on. So Appreciate all that you guys do and, and, and looking forward to continuing this conversation, maybe diving deeper on some things that we couldn't we couldn't get into today as much. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I wanted to thank uh, Gatorverse as well for, again, yeah, so supporting us at the podcast. Um, some This was something that we started never thinking it was um, going to be particularly marketable, quite frankly. I mean, we do 70-minute podcasts previewing Stony Brook and, and Kennesaw State, which, uh, you know, never thought was going to be something <laughs> that would particularly uh, – was not because we were looking to uh, – um, you know, to be marketable in any way, just because we, you know, wanted to, to kind of provide that kind of deep analysis of, of Florida. Well, it was great to catch up with Alex Klatsky and um, we appreciated Rafi Goldman coming on. We are going to catch up with uh, Alex a little bit more, talk deeper Florida basketball and the season we can. Uh, we will get into some other thoughts on the Ole Miss game now, uh, including the Castleton injury. Uh, just a reminder, the Florida Basketball Hour is brought to you by the Gatorverse, an exclusive community dedicated to connecting University of Florida fans and student-athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real-life experiences, giveaways, VIP events, and rewards, while athletes receive a majority of the revenue from the sales of these collectibles. To find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member and Locker Mania, visit Gatorverse.io. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined as always by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We have to uh, break down kind of a game that I would say, uh, you know, look, Florida won. They're 14 and 12. Uh, They got a big win. They certainly um, played pretty well. I thought after the first 10 minutes, at least, uh, where they did not play so well, um, played a really good half hour of basketball, shot the lights out for the first time all season. Um, but I don't think any of that really 
is what fans are thinking about this morning. Certainly not what I'm thinking about. So let's bring in Eric Fawcett and ask, you know, the obvious takeaway from this game is four to one, but uh, as Thanos might say in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, at what cost? Yeah, that's uh, that's crushing. And and it was something that uh, I, I don't know if it's been confirmed that uh, Castleton is, is, is out for the season. But um, I will say that when the Florida basketball account um, tweeted out what they did and then with Colin shortly after tweeting out what he did, um, I would say that 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 probably confirms it. And, uh, you know, they did say I had a broken hand and that's not something you come back from in, in, a, in a couple of games. Um, so I think that the the assumption is that he's out for the season and uh, that's just devastating. I mean, we we talked last podcast, I believe, and I, I asked the question um was uh it, you know if the Gators were to miss the tournament is Colin Castleton's you know immense talent one of the 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 least capitalized you know players in, in Florida basketball history and uh it's it, we we talked about how he's been just you know truly outstanding and and gave effort every single game and uh yeah unfortunately it seems like he's not going to be able to 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 fight and claw the rest of the way to try to get the Gators to the NCAA tournament and I'm just devastated for him I mean he's someone who I think is uh, kept up his side of the bargain when it comes to what he's done at Florida basketball. Um, he is, uh, whether it's the defensive end or the offensive end, whether it's rebounding or scoring, I mean, he's someone who's a top 100 recruit that played like a, you know, 400 ranked recruit because with, with his effort and the way that he um, accepts playing the, the uh, more gritty side of the game. And um, yeah, I think that's uh I think that that's kind of the big thing that was, was the the kind of response from, from everyone was uh, just everyone just heart heartbroken for him. And uh, yeah, it was definitely sad to see uh, again when, when he, he tweeted out that he just had no words. I mean, that was just devastating for a guy that, that really gave it all and um, suffered an injury that is not, it's not one of those ones where, it was, you know, a, a strength or, or issue or like a soft tissue issue or because he's someone who takes care of his body so well to be able to play the immense amount of minutes he does. Um, it was something like a broken hand, which, um, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, what people always say fluke injury. I mean, what's a fluke injury? I mean, I guess maybe Jason Jatobo getting his cornea slashed is is a, a fluke injury. But, you know, a broken hand is, is something that, you know, you don't uh, you just can't can't kind of prepare for. So, um, yeah, devastated for him. Yeah, I mean, absolutely devastating. Um, just a, a couple notes on Colin. Um, and for those that are wondering, Florida. I mean, you guys can check it, but the Florida Twitter account was uh, they, they did tweet forever a Gator, which is probably not a good sign. Mm-hmm. Colin Castleton tweeting, I have no words. I can confirm that the two people that I talked to inside the building, uh, inside the program, said that they are hopeful that he could play in the NCAA tournament if Florida made the NCAA tournament. Okay. Um, and one told me that that's really just a testament to Colin's toughness, uh, which is another thing like – it was kind of like, well, if Florida somehow managed to make the NCAA tournament um, with a game against a slumping Arkansas team Saturday, but a team that does plays really, really well at home, that they're going to have to play without Colin Castleton. And then a team, a game against a increasingly warming up Kentucky team uh, that will be desperate, um, I would imagine, uh, next week. Um Somehow they'd have to win those games and then not lose to Liam Robbins without Colin Castleton after losing to Liam Robbins with Colin Castleton. 
Um, I mean, you know, you've heard the, you know, you get the point. Um, I don't want to belabor the point that if somehow they made it through all that and made the NCAA tournament that they, they were hopeful that Colin could play depending on how he healed here in the next three weeks. Um, but yeah, he's not going to play in any of these remaining five regular season games. The Gators now have a lot of streaks in jeopardy. Um, they haven't had a losing season since Billy Donovan's final year. Um, they've only had one losing season this century, which is the lowest number in the SEC. Um, they And they'll still have the lowest number of losing seasons in the SEC if they have a losing season this year. Um, but, uh, you know, they have uh, been to the postseason every year that there has been a postseason since Billy Donovan left Florida. Uh, that is obviously in jeopardy because an NIT berth is far from guaranteed now. Um, you would think that Florida would be sort of an NIT lock with Castleton around. Um, you know, now I think they're going to have to, if a two and three finish, does 16 and 15 get Florida to the NIT? Um, probably not. Uh, so, you know, I think a, a lot there, but just uh, a testament to, and then one other note I thought was really important, and I'd love Eric to comment on this because, you know, Eric um, and I both, you know, I write about the ACC, as some of you know, um, and I follow that league pretty prolifically, I would say, um, because of my writing responsibilities. Uh, you know, it was interesting to hear Jay Billis on a national broadcast of number one versus number 10 and say, hey, bad news down in Gainesville. Colin Castleton was injured and is out for the season. And Jay Billis say, that's just such a shame. He was playing like a first team All-American, which is, I think, a testament to just how good Colin has been. Your yeah, thoughts I, on, on Billis's comments? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was something we mentioned a couple of shows ago that he had gotten into the top 10 of, of the Ken Palm algorithm um, for player of the year, um, which isn't to suggest, oh, if you're you know top 10, that means that you are um, – uh, kind of first team all American or whatever type of guy. But I, I think it's just an example where he started the season kind of really, really hot. And then there was that little cooling off kind of period a, a little bit in, in, in the winter. And now we saw in the last, you know, last couple of weeks, he's had these like monster games. So relative to what, when he said, Oh, he's playing like, you know, first team all, all American. I think when you look at the Tennessee game, the Kentucky game, the Alabama game where he was putting up, you know, 20, right. 25, 30 points, um, you know, efficiently, you know, pencil them in for around 10 rebounds, pencil them in for three or four blocks. Like for him to do that, like at the stretch he was playing, I think it, like, Again, it's it's not no one votes on the award saying like, oh, well, this player had the best, you know, five game stretch, but that that's not exactly how it works. So I don't think that if the season continued, he would be a first team All-American or anything like that. Um, of course, the Gators, you know, respectfully, no one is going to want to vote for a player from a team performing like the Gators have performed for that. But I do think to say for those, you know, these last two and a half weeks, three weeks. Yes, he was playing at that level. And I think yep. that that also just shows you, like you said, Fritz come on an ACC broadcast between two ranked teams. Um, that says something about the respect level. And I think that's something where like, you know, when Castleton came to the Gators and, and instantly got eligible, which was fantastic. Um, and uh, kind of instantly played a key role for the Gators. I mean, yeah, this is the third season where he's been, um, a starter high level sec player um last season had a little bit of buzz for like oh could this guy you know be 
on an, on one of the All-American teams and then entered this season as someone who said, oh, this could be a first-team um, uh, All-American and someone who could compete at the top um, for SEC Player of the Year. Of course, everyone would have expected Oscar Shibwe as the returner, but, like, you know, Katzen would have been in that mix. So I, I think it's one of those things that, like, for you don't often see players being at one program for three years um, playing that high level of basketball. So uh, that just shows that, Castleton has made his mark not just on Florida, not just on the SEC, but but nationally for playing three years of, of really good basketball. Yeah, he really has. I think um, you know Sam Vecchini wrote at the Athletic that he was the front runner for SEC Defensive Player of the Year, which I think is very fair. Whether or not he made the All American team or not, he was on pace to break the Florida single season block shots record, which was set by Dwayne Chinchis, and a lot of people never thought would be broken. I mean, Joe Kim Noah didn't break it. <laughs> um, which gives you kind of an idea of just how prolific a season Colin was having defensively. Florida defended pretty well last night. We can get into that if we want, but I think this is really just kind of a Castleton discussion. Um, and they dropped a couple spots in Kimpom largely because Ole Miss, you know, was able to score a little bit easier at the rim <laughs> with Colin Castleton off the floor. Um, you know, so I think whether or not you think some of those were garbage time points or not, I promise you that's going to be a trend the rest of the season. Uh, Florida's just going to have more trouble defending at the rim. Um, that goes without saying when you lose one of the nation's best shot blockers. It's not like I'm dropping profound basketball analysis knowledge here. Hashtag analysis, man. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I thought maybe the most staggering statistic is just how good Florida was when Colin Castleton was on the floor. I mean, in, in, in some, you know, the Gators uh, were 11.8 points per hundred possessions better than their opponents when Colin Castleton was on the floor, Eric. Um, and then there's 6.9 points per possession uh, per, per hundred possessions, 6.5 points per possession. Uh per 100 possessions when he's off the floor worse than their opponents. So that is almost an 18-point disparity <laughs> uh, with Colin per 100 possessions when he's on the floor and all versus off of it. Yeah, I'll do you uh, one better because I was just looking at this moments before we started the podcast. Um, in just SEC games, the Gators have a plus nine uh, net rating with Con Castleton on the floor. With Castleton off the floor, it's a minus twenty-three net rating. Oh so my that's, gosh! So again, you know, you mentioned those numbers, but of course, that's baked in that you know the Gators did get to play some bye games um, where some of these bench guys were able to play a little bit better. Um, things have not gone well when Colin Castleton has been off the floor in in SEC play. Um, minus twenty-three net rating is um, egregious. Um, I'll also just point out. I'll, I'll give the breakdown a little bit more. They have a ninety offensive rating, so that's really poor and then it's you know a 114 defensive rating so um or, or yeah 113 defensive rating i really um so um it's one of those things too that uh it's actually their their offense has been kind of even even worse um with him off the floor and and again you've also got that we talk garbage time um that also would be some some kind of garbage time mixed in there so uh maybe that would change things a little bit more positively but you know whatever it whatever it is um this team has for, for a team that has not been great, 
Um, they are now, you know, losing an outstanding player. And uh, it, it is interesting. I mean, Golden's, and I don't know, again, if this was just a little bit of a motivating factor because Golden knew what was about to come um, with Castleton being out. But, you know, Golden mentioned um, that their depth was, you know, really good and he felt good about their depth. And that's why they were able to control this game against Ole Miss. Well, you know, the depth really has not been, you know, they were they were good against Ole Miss, um, who's not very good. They have not been very good um, for, for SEC play or, you know, the season. And and again, I don't think that, I, I'm not suggesting that. Uh, I, 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 I don't think, I think Golden knew what he was doing and knew he was going to have to motivate some of his guys to step up. So he said, oh, our, our, our depth has been really good. But uh, yeah, the, the, the numbers, unfortunately, are, are that uh, this team has gone, you know, has been getting dragged along a little bit by, by Castleton. And uh, we're in a tough spot here with, uh, with a few games left. Yeah. And remember, you know, Kowasi Reeves in the post game mentioned that they played some games without Colin last year and, and that they went, you know, four and two without him in a tough sec stretch. And so, you know, it's cool to hear Wacy say that that team also had Tyree Appleby who um, fun fact, Eric Fawcett uh, of GatorCountry.com gets to vote for um, our sec ballot. So he will have the ability to vote for Colin for, say, SEC Defensive Player of the Year if he wants to. Um, he could also, you know, vote for a guy like Sakai Ziegler, who went nuts last night and shutting down Alabama. Um, and I would respect that vote as well. I get to vote for the All-ACC team. And I will tell everyone now, with the risk of tomatoes being thrown at me uh, virtually, that I am going to vote for Tyree Appleby for ACC player of the year. Cause I think he's been the best player in the ACC. Um, and you know, barring something happening in the last few games that, that changes my mind. And with all due respect to, to Kyle Filipowski um, and to uh, Reese Beekman, um, I just think Tyree Appleby has been the best player. Uh, so, you know, I mean, when you lead the league in points and assists, I don't know what else you can really do. Um, Nonetheless, uh, that team that Lacey was referencing last year had the guy I'm going to vote for for ACC Player of the Year on their team. This team does not. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I thought we were going to have to argue about something, Neil, on the podcast, and I I, I guess we will, but I think that the, it's, it's going to have a little bit less uh, spice than I would have thought because – I'm not sure we think it's going to pull pull it off, but we were asked on Twitter if we thought that uh, it was going to take five and one for the Gators down the stretch to put them into the the uh, or five and one or six and zero oh, the uh, the rest regular season you know before Ole Miss to to make the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, I I said uh, no, I did not think it was it would get them in the NCAA. NCAA tournament. You actually said they were a lock, so you were quite on the other side of it. <laughs> um, I, I I feel we should we should have this. Um, we should have this discussion, although uh, I, I, I think that uh, what looked like a possibility that the Gators could go 6-0 and is, of course, looking like uh, a little bit less of a possibility. I mean, we just said the numbers. Um, I guess you can maybe say your piece if you think that there's a possibility the Gators could go 6-0. and um, But uh, yeah, what like let's 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 just talk again. Like what would it take for the Gators to to get to the NCAA tournament right now, in your opinion? Yeah, so like I said, I did. I, let me clarify. I do think that a six and zero finish would make Florida a lock, um, because I think at that point they'd be nineteen and twelve. They'd have twelve league wins. They'd have at least four quad one wins, um, and so in that scenario, yes, I think Florida would be a lock, barring like 
Well, they'd also be a top four seed in the SEC tournament if they finished 12 and six. So I wouldn't even be worried about a loss in the first round in Nashville because they wouldn't be playing somebody who could have that effect on them. Um, I know I thought five and one would get Florida in the conversation, assuming that the loss was to Arkansas on the road. Um, And I thought actually I was going to come on this podcast and talk quite confidently on Sunday that Florida was going to beat Kentucky next Wednesday (laughs) at home um, with Colin. You know, I just thought there's no way a Colin Castleton is losing to Kentucky on his home floor in his final shot at him. And now, you know, it's heartbreaking to think about that game actually, because Kentucky's just not that good, man. Um, but they are finding ways to win. They won in a tough environment last night. Got a little help from the refs, but uh, yeah, I mean, so I don't know. I don't know if there's even much of a point in having the discussion. Like I do think six and zero Florida would it just be? Let's put it this way: only one team that's ever finished twelve and six in the SEC has been left out, and that was uh, South Carolina a few years ago, who went to the NIT. And remember that South Carolina team didn't Florida doesn't have any of the works that that South Carolina team had, Eric, where that South Carolina team like lost games in the non-conference to just horrific teams. Um, so that's sort of the point. I, I, I just feel like the SEC is respected enough where the Gators would, would get in the field, even if it was the first four. Yeah. Like I, well, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll say this, like, if, if you think that it would be the first, like when you, I guess part of the thing is, is of course the semantics of the, the argument about um, like, what is it, what is being a lock mean? Um, so to me, a lock would be like, you know, like an eight or nine, or I like you even say a 10, like, like that you're not sweating it out whatsoever. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. So, so first four wouldn't be a lock for me. And then I would also say, if you think that five and one probably doesn't get the Gators in, but six and oh is a lock like to, so then the chasm between that being a win against Arkansas it's like well Arkansas is like probably a nine or a 10 seed right now their their net numbers are actually pretty good they're like 21 in the net but I just don't think like if the Gators are out of an NCAA tournament position beating Arkansas who is people are not enthused about looks like a nine or a 10 seed they are at least you know 21 in the net like I just don't think that's that's enough of a step necessarily um unless the gators were to you know kill all these other game like quad two and quad three games they have and like really crank up their net but i think that six and oh maybe gets them to the high again it's hard to speculate but i would say it gets them to like the high 40s which gets you in 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 the picture but again i just don't think that and and then the other thing too about the like the like if that would have that if the gators went six and oh that would be four quadrant one victories which i think a lot of people are like oh like that's an okay number um, of course, the Gators have a whole bunch of losses in quad one, so they've had lots of opportunities. But the other thing is like that I think, you know, even maybe we're guilty of a little bit is looking at the total number of quad one and being like, oh, like, you know, four quad one wins is good. Like, that's a good number of quad one. But when you actually look at the wins, that's, you know, Mississippi State, that's that would be Kentucky. And then that would be Arkansas, three teams that are, you know. That those are quad one games. Those are not quad one, you know, A wins. It so. wouldn't even be Kentucky, by the way. It would be Vanderbilt. Oh, right. That's a good point. So, uh, yeah, again, it would be quad, quad two. Right. So it's it's like those games are uh, 
like again, they they are quad four, but I don't think the committee's just gonna be like or sorry, quad one, but I don't think the committee's gonna be like, oh look, four quad one wins. They'll be like, oh, there's there's one outstanding win against Tennessee, but these other quad one wins are, you know, quad one wins, but for lack of a better term, you know, lower to mid-level quad. So I just again, I just I don't think that that would be that would be enough. Um, but uh it's uh yeah, I just this this conversation could be uh you know, could be a little bit uh, useless given that I'm not sure what we think the Gators, you know, now like what you were saying, can the Gators go three and two in the remaining games? Um, maybe that's a little bit more of the, the conversation um, we'd be having. But, uh, and again, I haven't checked NIT bracketology, but, you know, I think that would certainly put the Gators in, in that kind of position. But I just wonder with the, even too, would the Gators have an appetite to go to the NIT, maybe down Colin, probably down Colin Castleton. Um, especially if they <laughs> slip into the NIT and, you know, maybe aren't even hosting a first round game or, or whatever that is. Um, we will cross that bridge when we get to it, but, uh, yeah, this is not, you know, thought we'd come on this podcast. We would argue what it would take for the Gators to get, uh, to the NCAA tournament. And, and you'd be able to confidently say the Gators are going to beat Kentucky, but, uh, everything changed last night. That's for sure. It really did. And by the way, that can, the South Carolina team I referenced was uh, 2018, 2019 South Carolina. Um, and they went 16 and 16 overall, but 12 and six in the SEC. Uh, they had losses to Wofford, um, who was bad. Stony Brook, who was bad. Uh, they lost to Wyoming, who was horrible. Actually, Wofford was really good, by the way. Uh, my, my fault. My, all due respect to the Terriers, totally, totally mean of me to say they were they were bad. Um, they went to the NCAA tournament one again. Yeah, that was like fault. Storm Storm Murphy and Fletcher yeah, that was. Or, you know, but Fletcher but they were that. they were they were straight up blown out by Wofford. But they mm-hmm. uh, they lost to Stony Brook. They lost to Wyoming. Then they somehow lost by like seven points at Virginia. Um, and that was when you were like, "What's going on?" And uh, ended up going twelve and six with four quad one wins in the SEC. Um, and then they turned down an NIT berth because Frank Martin uh, was pissed that they weren't considered for the NCAA tournament, even though they were 16 mm. and 16. Um, so, um, you know, that's Malik Grady's boy, Frank Martin, by the way. Um, no, Malik, Malik is not a fan of, of the Frank. So just kind of like to, to, to heckle him a little bit. Um, I do feel like we should maybe say one other thing about last night's game, which was that Kyle Lofton was marvelous. <laughs> Uh, yeah. plus, plus, uh, yeah, plus 17 at one point, at one point he was plus 20, ended up plus 17, 10.7 assist, only one turnover, which really shouldn't have been charged to him. It was kind of like a great pass. that was fumbled out of bounds. Um, yeah, man. I mean, just, it, he has been really good for the most part in sec play, Eric. Yeah. Again, I, I, it's the kind of same conversation we can have, like, it's it's you know against some level of athletes he's not going to be as effective but against Ole Miss he's gonna um, be pretty dominant. I, I actually did like how the Gators used him um, in the in the post. Uh, yeah, kind of to create out of there some different looks. Again, we're just begging for some some different uh, different looks offensively. 
so to get um, Lofton down there um, where he can maybe turn and finish over a smaller guard or they use those kind of logo ball screen plays that um, I back in the days of like Tyson Chandler setting those low ball screens for Chris Paul in, in New Orleans um, really popularized those plays haven't seen them in, in a while but I, I love them so um, to see them go to, to those kind of actions for, for Lofton was was I, I really I really liked and um, mm-hmm. again going that <laughs> going back to how are the Gators going to play moving forward um, they got to change things up anyways. Um, not just because we think that their offense wasn't working and they need to change things, but now without Colin Castleton, um, maybe it is, Hey, let's, uh, let's invert the offense and throw, throw Lofton down there. Um, so didn't hate that at all. Once again, the Gators were good out of timeouts, which was good. And, uh, I kind of j- laughed about this, um, but was still serious on, um, on the post game thoughts for, for Patreon, um, where it, like the Gators jumped, like, 10 spots or like 12 spots in, in adjusted offensive efficiency in Ken Palm, which is like one of those things where like I was, you know, it's kind of laughing because it's like, oh, they went from, you know, 144 to 132, which is, you know, it's just not a sentence I thought I would be saying about Florida basketball this year. Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, Ole Miss is a team that's not very good defensively and the Gators still were able to be so efficient that despite playing a team that's not good defensively, because, you know, Ken Palm's not going to reward you for being good against a team that sucks, but the Gators were great against a team that was not very good defensively and were kind of rewarded in the metrics. So I do think that the Gators deserve um, credit for for an offense that I thought was uh, showed, showed improvements. Um, again, someone can roll their eyes and say like, well, they did it against Ole Miss, um, but we saw tangibly different actions that the Gators used in a different way to attack Ole Miss, and mm-hmm. they had success with it. And uh, yeah, it ties into to how they used Lofton, which was uh, very effective. Yeah, no, he was really good. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to bring up. I mean, Myron Jones kind of had a weird one because he was deceptive. We could talk about how he hit five threes. And that kind of covered up his like turnover high in SEC play. Um, you know, like he had four turnovers. A couple of them were pretty bad ones too. Um, and then uh, Florida also really good against Kermit's one, three, one. The Gators grade out is excellent against zone defense per synergy, by the way. So like very well coached and versed in attacking zones um, for all their offensive wards this year. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's kind of one of, it's funny. It's one of those things that when, when teams do play zone against the Gators, I kind of am just like, you know, I wonder what went on in their scouting. Why would you like, do that? Yes. And, and again, it's not like, like some of these teams that have done it, it's not like, oh, we're so desperate to keep Castleton from getting clean touches that we, yeah, I want to go zone. But again, Kermit, Kermit's been doing, especially that like one, three, one that falls back into a man. Like he's done it ever since middle Tennessee. So it's always been a thing. And um, I guess like, Hey, I'll, well, you know, we say, why do you play zone against the Gators? Well, you know, when you're Ole Miss and you're, at the bottom of the SEC, maybe you just got to throw things out and see if a team struggles against it, even though the Gators have been good. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if the Gators are going to see another possession of zone the rest of the year. I don't know why they would, but um, I do think the Gators are, are effective guys that are um, maybe not great at breaking down defense to defenses to get to um, kind of create passing angles, um, but they're willing passers and, and, and smart passers. So when you can get, you know, Lofton and, and, and Myron Jones and, and Will Richard, kind of all able to make passes without having to bounce the ball first. Like, yeah, that's going to be tough for, for some of these teams, teams to guard. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it could, could be the last time we see zone this year, Neil. So it's, uh, we went, went out with a bang, I think. Yeah, it, it very well could be. Uh, Arkansas has played a little bit of uh two, two, one. Um, and I don't know if they'll do that against Florida, Eric, um, but that's who is next for the Gators. 
is the Razorbacks. They stormed out to a huge lead in College Station last night and lost. Um, they have lost two in a row after winning three in a row. Um, they really took it to Kentucky at Rupp. So when they're on, they're a very capable team. Um, but their last two games, they lost to, to A&M, who Florida, of course, played very close twice with Colin Castleton. Uh, they lost at Miss State, who, of course, Florida beat. Oh, no, they lost at home to Miss State. That was their uh, mm-hmm. their first – one of their two home losses. Their other one was to Alabama. Um, so they have been beaten um, at Bud Walton this year, but they're much, much better at Bud Walton. Um, almost laughable, in fact. Their home and away disparity and splits. If you look at field goal percentage, defensive efficiency, they're 11th in the nation in defense, so they're now ahead of the Gators in defensive efficiency. Um a pretty good team, and they've got Nick Smith back, who I think uh, will be a top five pick in the NBA draft. Yeah, like that's the biggest story right now with with Arkansas. For people who don't know, Nick Smith is a guy who um, really kind of entered the season in the conversation for first overall NBA draft pick that isn't Victor Wembanyama. It was kind of like there was people that liked Scoot Henderson um, from the G League, and there's some people who like Nick Smith. So again, Nick Smith is a high, high, high level talent. Um, um, which was obviously an incredible get for Arkansas. He started the season injured. He came back for a couple of games and had a couple 20 point games. And uh, then he was, you know, injured again. And uh, though he wasn't spending his time in Arkansas rehabbing, he was in uh, Los Angeles working out with, uh, you know, his agents and, and basketball traders. So there was definitely a prevailing thought that's, uh, you know, this was going to be somewhat of a, uh, uh, I don't know what you was going to call it a red shirt year, but uh, you know, maybe in that, the, the shade and sharp mold of, you know, he, he went to Kentucky, but it was really just to work out for his one year to prepare for the NBA. There was <laughs> right. a little bit of that thought that Nick Smith was just going to, you know, he ceremonial be an Arkansas Razorback, but wasn't really going to play. So he'd only really played five games. He was, uh, you know, the, the word was that he was injured, but he was posting videos of, of him in Los Angeles doing full workouts um, so again, there was, I, th- you know, I personally thought he wasn't going to be back in, in Arkansas, um, but he did come back the last two games. He played against Mississippi state and was not good. He was two for seven from the floor. Um, just didn't look great. And then against Texas A&M, he was in the game for like two or three minutes only. He had two turnovers. I don't know if he took a shot and he didn't play again. So that's kind of the big, like, honestly, one of the like bigger wild cards, um, that you can have in college basketball right now of, Will the Gators see a player who could be a top three NBA pick or or not? Um, that's kind of like the thing that I'm kind of questioning most. Like, it seems he's healthy. It seems like he's back with the team, but uh, you know, will will he? Uh, it, will he actually play? Does he have the trust of Musselman? Is he is 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 he going to shut it down and say like, hey, you know, I'm with the team, but I'm not trying to get injured? Like, that's really like the big story about Arkansas right now, who I mentioned earlier looks like their their predictive metrics are strong they have a good net but their resume isn't great and they really find themselves like i think on bracket matrix right now they're like a nine seed so like you know is is that something nick smith wants to you know risk injury for we we will see but definitely the biggest story right now with arkansas basketball yeah it it is definitely the big story. And again, this is how talk about how one injury changes everything. Like I was going to come on the podcast and say like, look what Tolu Smith was able to do at Bud Walton 
you know, the Mitchell brothers are capable. They're capable power six players, um, even though they this is their first year in power six basketball. Uh, but they're not Colin Castleton. They're not Tolu Smith. And, like, it was definitely advantage Florida. Um, Musselman didn't want to double Tolu Smith. He probably would have doubled Colin Castleton. But Arkansas doesn't like to double a lot, Eric. And so it kind of felt like, you know, that was an area where Florida could win the game. The one guy that has, I guess, um, been kind of the difference maker for them, they use him off the bench. Um, and, and I've had some fun, I guess, maybe <laughs> regrettable fun with, with Eric talking about him a little bit is Jordan Walsh. who was their other top 20 freshman, five-star player, McDonald's All-American who picked um, Arkansas over Kansas. And he's played 25 minutes a night for the Razorbacks. And, and some nights he's really, really good. Um, and other nights he's not as effective. He looks like he's 50 years old. Um, he looks like old Andres Villanueva. Um, but like he, uh, he's got kind of a, an okay jumper, but he's, he's great at getting to the 10. He gets to the free throw line quite a bit. Um, a really good rebounder, a really good offensive rebounder. Um, and, and I think a guy who it really hurt them last night against A&M when he fouled out. Yeah, like like a conversation that we've had on the podcast, we'll continue to have, and certainly we'll have this off season um, with with uh, how the Gators are attacking recruiting. But like this is another cautionary tale, maybe even similar to when the Gators were really relying on freshman Scotty Lewis and and Trey Mann. So like you look at this Arkansas team, and again they have Nick Smith, and that's injury related um, a, a little bit, you know, with an asterisk. Um, but they also have Anthony Black, who's also a projected first round NBA pick, who's been, you know, really good in a couple of games, but not so good in others because that's what happens with freshmen. And then, you know, Jordan Walsh, who's like you said, a really highly rated recruit, um, had some really good games in Portland, also can kind of uh struggle defensively at times and get lost offensively. So this was a team uh, with that uh had a lot of eggs in the basket of of really good recruits, really good freshmen. And again, like you're seeing with Nick Smith, sometimes when you get like the peak of like someone who could have been the, you know, the best player in, in like the highest drafted player from college basketball, you might run into a situation where they decide they want to shut it down. So again, I, I, that is something you can't always account for. Um, but again, I just think you're seeing a little bit of inconsistency when three of your very key guys are going to be Nick Smith, Anthony Black and Jordan Walsh, who are fantastic players. Um, going to be outstanding pros, um, but as freshmen um, are going to be a, a little bit erratic at times. And then, of course, one more thing that we haven't mentioned, um, a, a favorite player of this podcast, um, someone who when I first laid eyes on him, I was like, this is an NBA player. Why is he rated what he is and why is he at Missouri? Um, Trevon Brazil um, transfers from Missouri to, to Arkansas. Um, I thought that was going to be a absolutely massive get for them he was outstanding to start the season he had some big games against san diego state and creighton establishing that he's you know in a really a truly elite player that six foot nine six ten kind of shot making forward that we desperately want to have a couple of in gainesville um so he is out with injury as well so i don't want to say oh the the you know 
muscle been just banked on on freshman recruits and um that didn't work and that's why they built a roster poorly um again he's had some some unlucky breaks with trevon brazil getting injured out for the year and then nick smith being you know the nick smith situation um but yeah that's uh that's kind of the arkansas story right now they injury luck that's been poor and then um a couple players that are you know very very talented but maybe a little bit erratic yeah, no, I mean, they. That, I was going to say, and that's a great point about Brazil, because that was the one player that made it a little different. Like, you kind of looked at Arkansas and said, this is a different formula from us, who's always been Mr. Transfer Portal, right? Like, he lands this huge class, which you can do at Arkansas, and I think Eric Musselman, to his credit, has figured that out, um, you know. But uh, they still had, you know, these transfer pieces. I mean, Ricky Council has been their best player, Wichita State transfer. Um, at least in my opinion, I think he's been one of the best transfers in the country. Um, you know, I think he's been better than Devo Gator killer, Devo Davis, who we at least have to mention his name and put Gator killer in front of it. Um, or else we're not doing our job as the FBH podcast. Cause inevitably Florida will play great and inspired basketball on Saturday without Colin. And then Devo Davis will hit some dagger threes in the second half that make no sense. Um, but getting back to the point I was trying to make, Eric is right that, you know, must didn't totally bank on freshmen and that they have had a bit of bad luck. Um, they also still don't run really great stuff offensively. That's always going to be a thing with Eric Musselman. Um, they're not terribly difficult to defend, are they, Eric? Uh, not from a schematic standpoint, for sure. And and uh, this is going to be an interesting one because um, I, the Gators have been, been really good with their defensive scouts, you know, recently. Um, and it's one of those situations where we even talked about it against Alabama, like the Gators got just like their defense got torched, but I don't think that was a situation where um, their, their scheme was bad. That was, you know, a situation where, yeah, the, the athletes just weren't up to par. That's maybe a little bit of the Arkansas. That could be the situation against Arkansas where I think the Gators will come in knowing how they want to kind of guard Arkansas. There's just going to be, um, you know, athletically will they be able to keep up with some of these six foot seven downhill drivers so um it's uh not i i think florida staff would probably prefer they played a team that had, was a little bit less physically talented and a little bit more um scheme related because the gators have been pretty good at taking teams out of that um uh, so that's that's a little bit like it's, it's funny there's two kind of sides there's one part of me that says oh i don't think that arkansas's offense is very good the gators who have shown that they can swallow these teams up that are not great offensively um like that's going to happen but then there's also part of me that could think oh maybe the gators can have a good plan and not even execute that poorly but their you know athleticism and size deficiency on the wing is just going to be deep be too much I, I i could really see either way of the gators playing an awesome defensive game um or just really struggling yeah me too it'll be interesting to see if musk goes small or if he relies on the mitchell brothers i mean they went small in the south carolina game and just got eaten alive by Josh Gray, who had 20 points and 14 rebounds and three blocks. And it just, if right now you're saying, dang it, Colin Castleton, you're absolutely right to be doing that. Um, but the must reaction to that was like, Jordan Walsh played 30 minutes. Uh, Jalen Graham played a bunch. I mean, that was like the biggest guy they had on the floor was Jalen Graham, who's 6'8", 225. Um, you know, they, they did not play particularly big they just went wings and in fact anthony black devo davis and ricky council all played 40 minutes in that game so uh and it ended up being a two-point arkansas win at south carolina eric so it'll be interesting to see how Muss attacks florida without castleton as well 
Oh yeah, I, I I think that they uh, again it's it's uh, I think you mentioned earlier that this Arkansas team is going to be hungry again. They've got a lot of top end talent and find themselves again injuries have happened, but they are a team with a lot of talent that is currently like in the nine seed conversation. So uh, their you know their position isn't isn't comfortable as well. And and um, you know quite frankly, if you the, the Gator season could tail off a little bit, there's a chance it happens. The wheels could fall off a little bit without Castleton. So if you lose to this Florida team and, and Florida maybe drops a little bit in the net, that could be, you know, pretty devastating to a team like Arkansas trying to, uh, you know, trying to better their seeds. So again, much like when the Gators played Kentucky earlier and we kind of made sure people knew like, Hey, Kentucky's going to be playing very, very hungry. This isn't a regular Kentucky team. Um, Arkansas has been really good the last couple of years. And uh, this is a team that uh, is going to be playing a little bit hungrier than those teams that uh, were pretty comfortable in their NCAA tournament standing. Yep, absolutely. As we mentioned earlier on the show, one of two quad one opportunities officially remaining for Florida. Uh, Georgia right on the precipice, um, <laughs> which is bizarre. Um, thanks, Mike White. Um, so anyway, uh, that's that's our show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We will be back um, later this weekend. Go Gators. Keep attacking closeouts.